commence primary ignition. This is Star Wars. Look out! You may fire when ready. From the bright center of the galaxy, I'm Greg Scumbag, and you're listening to Core World News, your whole news show for in-depth coverage and analysis of all the latest stories from around the galaxy. Now for your news segment rundown for May 28th, 2020. Kyber Crystal Comics Corner. Pillars of Star Wars and our hidden fortress roundtable. But first, join your hosts in a discussion about the innovative technology at the intersection of film production and game engine technology. Now be your host, Ben Grant-Adam, to talk about The Vogue. All right. Thank you very much, Grex. Uh, another fantastic week in uh, Star Wars world, um, and less so on our world. Uh, but yes. Um, Speaking of roundtables. Yeah, exactly. Um, the This was another great gallery episode. I love this. I'm not a behind-the-scenes guy, but um, I love this episode. Uh and it was important for a lot of reasons. I mean, this this technology you you see behind the curtain of uh, John Favreau, um, and and he's been on he's really been the guy on the bleeding edge of like merging um, CGI and and human actors uh, for the past ten years and on, on major motion pictures, and now he's applying it, taking it to another step uh, for the Mandalorian, which seems vital in hindsight due to their um, their budget, but. Uh, fascinating. What what did you guys take away from this? Yeah, they covered a lot of they covered a lot of ground in this uh, in this roundtable because they talked about you know the advent of like front projection on two thousand one, you know, and then and then it got into you know Favreau's you know tampering or experiments with like you know his his early days of VFX on Iron Man and doing just the basic green screen stuff. Then in the Jungle Book, uh, exploring game engine technology and and kind of creating the setting, the assets in the, the virtual world and, and, and create, using camera positioning data to like shoot the actual digital assets with the characters involved with that and, yeah. and, and projecting lights onto the actors to match the, the lighting and all that stuff. And then the ultimate, you know, the, the end point for all of this is, is clearly the volume. The volume seems to, to be the all-in-one, you know, uh, uh, VFX, you know, set that you that, that accomplishes everything. It's got It's a lighting box. It's got real in-camera backgrounds that you can change with the camera positioning data. It's got really everything you'd want as a filmmaker. And uh, you can just go to a studio and shoot inside. I mean, that's better than going, you know, on location. Yeah. Yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah, this episode broke my brain. Um, <laughs> I, I really enjoyed it. I, I The opposite of Ben, I love the behind-the-scenes stuff. I love process, and I love learning about it. And that part, part of this episode I really enjoyed at the very beginning was – as you kind of already went through Grant, I, w- I love John Favreau talking about kind of the progression of this. And it was only like five minutes at the very beginning of him just talking probably over his past 15 years of filmmaking and how it led him to this place. And I really enjoyed that because I've seen all that, yeah. those movies and I can kind of go, oh, that's right. There's this, there's that. But there's two huge moments, benchmarks yeah. in filmmaking. Yeah. yeah. Like, even though some of those movies aren't great, you know, like, like I, I don't want to like, you know say anything negative but you know lion king to me wasn't the biggest success in the world from a technological standpoint it is though like it's groundbreaking right like it's it's incredible what that led to and two moments really broke my brain there was one early on i think it was actually on the scene of lion king and it showed him directing in virtual reality which is like i get it but it's weird when you're like you have the goggles on and he's moving the camera and he's talking about like, oh, let's come in from this angle. And it just hurt my brain, right? This idea yeah, of, like that yeah. you can still do that same job, that directing job of figuring out what angle, how to best set a scene where literally everything is fake. 
Right. Yeah, and, and you're 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 immersed in that 3D environment, and when you move the camera and you see him with the VFX, you know, you see him with the the not the Oculus, I don't know what brand it is, but he's yeah. he's got the VR headset on, and he he just moves slightly to his left, and the camera moves. So you can see the side side of the wildebeest, and it's it's reading that camera positioning data, so you can actually like shoot inside the virtual world, and it's yeah, uh, that's just it's groundbreaking to even watch him it is that technology. And then the other part was around the volume because I knew it was a thing. I've seen photos of it. I understand how it works, like not like the technicals, but I under, I get the, the concept behind it. And then when they were showing it, they would show it from the documentarian standpoint. Right. Right. And you would see the background moving clearly with the characters. That and is called we, parallax. We all parallax, know the word yeah. uh, parallax. Well, yeah, and it would get all jinky, right? Like you would see things jump and move, and I'm like, oh, so that thing's not as good as they were right. saying it was. They had to clean it up. But then they showed it because it's not moving from the character's perspective. It's moving from the camera's perspective. So when you look through the camera, that jinky stuff you don't see because it's all about dimensional space. And that was like my mind was just like, oh. like I remember when I was taking statistics, I had to start talking about nth dimensional math, and I, like my brain started hurting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I'm like, I haven't felt this way in 10 years. Like, that's what it's massaging using. Massaging my temple. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah, is... half the wall will look warped and kind of uh, yeah. pixelated, and and then you'll look over in the corner, and it's perfect. And you're like, yeah. wherever the camera's aiming, that's where it's creating the background, and yeah. it's yeah. It's, it's really best. incredible. Yeah, it's literal really... like game engine like functionality, but like being in the middle of the game. It's like playing a game in a massive room that is your 360 degree um, environment. It's it's really impressive. And um, and and really fun. Um, and I know they didn't. They said they didn't really like l need to light the characters because the uh, wall lights the, lights the characters for them. But yeah, I have to imagine there must be like some like you know shadow play or some 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 lighting that you know some some key right. There's got to be a little bit of key, but maybe not. Maybe it's they're yeah. really encircled by light. So, so so this was the that was the thing I wanted to mention, which is the most fascinating. So. Grant and I have worked on sets before, so we know how these things work. And it the lighting guys are what takes the most amount of time to get the lighting just right for your perfect angle on whatever you're doing. But they actually use the light panels that are projecting the environment to change the light. So it's like you always want to have light coming, you know, into the eyes of the character. So there's a glint in both of them and, but like a little bit to the side. So there's a little shadow on the face and he give you some dimension and one from the back to give you, you know, 3d stuff. I'm not going to drag you through all of it, but it's, it's super complex. You need at least three points. And, but here they're able to tune it. I really think they're using the leds grant to uh, alone to do it. And I, I don't think there's any other like analog. I mean, analog lights shining through. It's like, they're like, they will just make a certain point brighter or cooler or, you know, warmer or whatever they need to do. And, uh, I mean, it's, it, it's amazing. And like, I, I can't imagine how much time that takes. Cause I don't know, like from a technological standpoint, but I know if you were doing it analog, it would just be like 45 minutes every time you move yeah. like five feet. And yeah. that's the thing that stuck out to me is when I think, and Fabio really kind of just, uh, just, passed over this but it was a quick comment where he said you know that's the thing is we have to start scheduling the assets and scheduling the backgrounds that's the real that's yeah. the real workflow of the volume yeah. is making sure that you're scheduling out these alien worlds right. and these these backgrounds and these locations with the the design team you know that the, the vfx yeah. department and so right. an ilm you know for yeah. that matter but if they've got a little like foresight to it and you can sort of juggle like what's coming tomorrow with what's going on today then um you can really save a lot of time and a lot of money 
And yeah. and for me, like one of my favorite things in Star Wars are these landscapes, these broad landscapes. Yeah. And that's what the volume excels at. It's, you know, you can see a character and for no money, you can have them standing against this beautiful um, foreign alien landscape and uh, it looks completely natural. And that's that's why I was always somewhat hesitant about the show for a long time, because I, I got I don't want to say burned. I, I'm going to say it. I get a bit burned by Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., right? Because. Yeah. Because I was ex- I, and, and I was a little nervous that I would get the same thing. And there's nothing wrong with Agents of Sealed. I think actually the storytelling is fairly strong in some of those seasons of that show. But it's yeah, on, a, it's on a budget. Yeah, same here. Yeah. It's the final season just started yesterday, I think. Right. Um, I didn't watch it yet, but I'll probably wait till the season's over and binge it. But I was a little like, you know, burnt by the fact that I wrong wrong on my part was expecting the budgets I were get I was getting in the Marvel movies, right? And of course that's right. ridiculous. Especially on network television when we're looking when did that show premiere? Ten years ago now? Eight years ago, I think. Yeah, so. Internet. About eight, eight, nine years ago, yeah. So now it's just kind of just like, wow, imagine what that show would have been if it came out now, because they'd probably be using that technology. And it makes me wonder what the Marvel shows that are coming out <laughs> now on Disney Plus, if they aren't all just kind of sharing this technology, right? I wonder how much we're going to see this popping up in other shows. Yeah. I know I Feige talked about go, wanting to go cosmic and really lean into the cosmic storytelling. So mm-hmm. the volume's a great way to expand yeah. that that side of the, the Marvel Universe. Yeah. I'm sure Kathy's but, uh, happy to rent it out for a day. <laughs> I'm sure. It, really cool that Dave Filoni was talking about doing some second unit uh, photography, and he uh, he said he could just change the the volume you know, under an hour change yeah. it to another background which is pretty pretty cool for a second yeah. unit to get some pickup shots and just change the volume yeah. um so, uh, also the ma- being able to match the lighting to the background that's pretty huge like yeah some yeah. of the the best you know cg i've seen in films is those like the the, the new planet of the apes movies i feel like have really yeah. really beautiful lighting and like the lighting on the the chimp characters is really, really well done. Like on the fur, on on the skin, on everything, it really, really looks real and on location. And I feel like, I feel like what you get on the Mandalorians, like the, possibly a tier higher than that because they're matching it to the background and and they are able to match lighting so much easier than having to you see it all in post and then light yeah. later. Yeah, I never once was like pulled out of the suspension of disbelief. No. in the Mandalorian. I was never no. like, oh, well, I know how that's made or I know like I've always just like I'm watching Star Wars. I'm on Tatooine. I'm in a space station. I never thought about the background at all. Yeah. And knowing this now, I'll probably look at it a little more critically. But um, I yeah, and, awesome. but, I mean, there are a lot of stories in there of people on set being faked, being fooled by it. Right. <laughs> yeah, I kept waiting for was, someone oh to tell gosh. a story of when they walked <laughs> into the wall. But like one thing that really stuck out to me, stuck out to me that I really enjoyed was Carl Weathers was talking about acting. Yeah. in the volume yeah. and it made Carl sense Weathers because treasure he is i'm so happy he's directing an episode next season i think it's gonna be is great. he really yeah he's directing oh, one of the episodes my heart yeah oh. but i i was listening to him talking i'm like okay so i get where this is going he's going to talk about the fact that you don't have to pretend because you can see it right because that's always the big complaint by actors is acting against quote-unquote tennis balls right right so i'm like okay i get that but then he said something so profound that i just never really thought he was like if there's three actors and they're told to look at a tennis ball and picture something <laughs> or look at something, they're all going to have yeah. slightly different things in their brain. Right. Right. But now that's gone because we're all looking at the exact same thing. And I'm like, that's like so simple yet so profound about how important this, this technique is for filmmaking and for acting on both sides of the camera. Right. Yeah. Like it's kind of amazing. 
Yeah, so you're not going to get more real, not just lighting where you're going to get more realism. It's also the performances. The performances are going to feel real because they're all yeah. seeing whatever digital asset or yeah, creature right. or monster is being shown. Um, also, not to be overlooked, um, they roped in George Lucas oh, right. a lot for this. And uh, they were like, this was like as much as Favreau really created this and like ILM and all those teams like they're like the, the brain shot like the person who thought of this first was George Lucas he yeah. always wanted this and they even brought up footage of him being like in the future this is the way it's going to be and, and he essentially described volume and uh, I mean that's just great like I, I love George like what do you do yeah and you know like he, he's doing the best with what he had and did amazing things with it you know um, but yeah pretty cool yeah, I mean, I still remember seeing the prequels and being blown away by the effects yeah. in the prequels at the time. And part of it doesn't, some of it holds up, some of it doesn't. I think it holds up better than some, a lot of the other digital effects even after it. But I think Kathy Kennedy said he's he's a man 10 years ahead of his own time. And I'm like, no, All no, no. Time, always, yeah. 20, that was a great 20, 20 years ahead of yeah, his time. 20, yeah, literally. I mean, really, technically, yeah. if that was, if he was, you know, saying that, yeah, in 2000, 20 years. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I mean, Kathy's great. I love mm-hmm. her. I love, I love how you know her involvement in this, and she's not really coming off glowingly in these. No one, she's not really being featured. They're not. T- she's just sort of the woman there. in the room, yeah. if you yeah. give my parlance. But like they, you know, she's she's there, but she always adds a lot to the discussion. Yeah. It's great. I, I wish they would give her her new because she does so much more than I think um, she's getting credit for in these yes um, in these episodes. But uh, agreed. Yeah, but it was it was cool to see that. Um, that George Lucas moment there and him doing it. And I mean, for me, like the prequels, I, I loved the contrast in style. I loved how it was this beautiful, crisp, like background, as opposed to like the sort of ragged original trilogy. There's like yeah. this really nice opulence to uh, yeah. the original, the, the prequel trilogy. And I just, you know, stylistically, it's nice to have a differentiation there. And, and, um, and it, I don't know, I love it. It's just another, it's another flavor of candy that I enjoy. Well, good. Um, I think we have a mailbag submission today, if I'm correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we uh, we heard from one of our listeners on Instagram about last week's episode in particular. Uh, he talked a bit about our had a question or thought about our discussion of like, what was the First Order's plan with the kidnapped stormtroopers or kidnapped kids? They turn into stormtroopers. So I'll just read his response. And then we can we can each kind of address it. So he said he loved the idea that the First Order rounded up four sensitives. Makes sense in building a Sith Empire, but does it also go against the idea that was always Palp's that this was always Palp's plan? Because the Galactic Empire Stormtrooper program could have done the same. Thoughts. Well, firstly, do we want to give credit to this man? Yes. Oh, uh, I'm so sorry. It's from yes, it's from it's from uh, his 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 Twitter handle is Casual Jason, all one word. Okay. Um, I'll also hit up. He has a Twitch uh, stream uh, called Blue Underscore Impulse is his Twitch screen uh, stream. And he does some Lego stuff there. And I haven't watched it yet, but his last broadcast, which I definitely want to watch because I'm going to have to get some practice for this, which is a test. The title is Test Screaming with Baby on My Chest. (laughs) (laughs) I think he's playing uh, Tom Clancy's The Division 2. So I'm going to have to watch that to get some pointers about how to do that. So far out. (laughs) um grant do you want to go first on uh, this one yeah i'll dive into that that's i mean obviously this stuff hasn't been you know explored in canon it's it's kind of just been hinted at in in a lot of the material 
But uh, we do know that the kids were taken to become stormtroopers in, in the first order. That's for, that that 100% happened. And then uh, and then there's Clone Wars episodes. I think where Palpatine is outright trying to abduct Force sensitives. And so I think they're mutual. I think they. I think the plan is to harvest as many Force sensitives and you know young influential you know, uh, like easy to influence, you know, kids that you can bring into your army in some way if need be. But ultimately you can also weed out those four sensitives and use them for a very sinister purpose, which, which I think is, I think there was definitely a sinister purpose to using like four sensitives to, like we said, maybe possibly come back to life or resurrect himself. Yeah. You know, it's, it's interesting. That just brought into my head, the mid to ending of Jedi fallen order. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. That is, I mean, spoiler alert if you haven't played through the game, but the big, the big MacGuffin in that in that game is a list of four sensitives, right? That he's right. that he's yeah. trying to protect and take. He was either going to use it to build a new uh, Cal Kestis was either going to use it to build a new Jedi Order or just destroy it so the Empire couldn't get their hands on it. Yeah, so it doesn't exist, and they don't find these people for the Empire because they know they'll be pursued forever. A powerful, powerful message in that game and a very short step to what we're talking about here. I think um, casual Jason's comment, though, was like, all right, so they're doing that for the First Order. Why didn't the Emperor yeah. do it for the, you know, the Empire, which we know they were also recruiting sort of random people in that way? My answer to that is that um, Palpatine is clever he has got visions of the future, but no more than any other force user that we know. And he, I, I don't, I think he's fallible and I, I don't think he thought that far ahead. I don't think technology evolved that much. You know, the whole thing with him being like, Oh, there, you know, we've learned that there's a power to save people from death. It doesn't exist yet. That power doesn't exist in the original trilogy. And people were like, well, why didn't Luke just heal Darth, you know, his father in, um, you know, Return of the Jedi. It's like that, that not technology, but that force power has been lost to time. And it, it's lost to Palpatine as much as he's been searching for it, as much as, you know, Luke searched for it after it and eventually found it. It's, you know, it doesn't exist. And so I, I think, you know, he's an evolving, Palpatine's an evolving creature. And I think he was like, you know what? You know, I, I need to make a contingency plan for my ending or even if he was communicating via test tube or whatever, you know, during that time between Return of the Jedi and um, um, when he was resurrected, uh, there's, you know, there's I, I just don't think he was there yet. He, he didn't think of it yet. It's just yeah. that simple. That's kind of my thought, too, is I, I always see Palpatine, especially after episode nine, as a as a person who's kind of faking it till he makes it at times like like yeah, he's totally. like. Every, no matter what happens, he's going to claim it's according to his plan until he's yeah. vaporized, right? Until right. At the very end, he's right. vaporized. Like, like I yeah, feel like didn't that's see part that of coming, it. Did you? Right? Like, yeah, <laughs> it, of course. But he probably had this idea, like you said. Oh no! Now I need you know literally juiced younglings in order to survive. So I guess we'll start collecting them from around the world, or who knows? Or they fat figured out a way to actually identify the Force sensitives, like the Jedi did. They didn't have that ability prior. They didn't know right. how the Jedi. Who knows? But I I love this and. One thing that I'm just going to call him Jason. I'm going to guess his name's Jason. Correct me if I'm wrong. Casual sure. Jason um, is <laughs> I like that casual Jason. That's it's it's actually kind of nice. I like it. Yeah. Um, You're going to be casual Adam from now. I'm going to be casual Adam. Yeah. <laughs> At the very end, he says um, a couple of follow ups. Tweeting out, I'm going to call you casual Adam. <laughs> <laughs> um, he says in a follow up 
because we had a, we were talked a bit about about before. He says, "I think that's why I like this era in Star Wars. We can do a lot of headcanon. It's like playing in a sandbox, which I agree. Yes. Like, that's one of my favorite things yeah. with the new sequel trilogy is we're back to headcanon sandbox times, right? Yeah, that yeah. that's what we're doing here. That's my favorite thing that we do on this podcast is play in the sandbox. It just be put your head in that space." And enjoy it and try and interpret it and understand it and um, and and see which ways it can go. It's it's a fun galaxy to be a part of and, yeah. uh, and, and just enjoy in its mythological way. Absolutely. So yeah. thanks for reaching out, Casual Jason. It gave us something fun to talk about and continues the conversation. And if, if you or anyone else wants to have a thought, have a question, contact us on Instagram or Twitter, or you can email us directly at coralnews at gmail.com. Uh, we also just started a new Discord channel, which is uh, works on invites, so you can't just find us on Discord. But if you want an invite, just uh, contact us in one of those above-mentioned ways, and we will be happily send you a uh, send you a link to that. We we uh, we, and by I mean we, Grant has been taking the lead in that, and, and it's really kind of a well manicured. Yeah. Uh, Discord channel. We've oh, got organized. Separate, organized. We've got separate channels optimized. for all of our, optimized. optimized. Mm. <laughs> uh, we got separate channels for all of our different topics, and we jump in and have conversations ourselves. So uh, it's getting pretty active in there, I think, between us and a couple others. And um, it's it's a good time. And and uh, you know, you can always talk Star Wars. And I and Grant just keeps filling it up with news items, which is so much fun. So that's a good good. Yeah, we have, we, have, we yeah. have super fun channels too. We have you know, obviously, we have like a general chat. We have news channels. We have speculation channels we have video channels we have uh star wars watch list channel which i i love i think i can't wait to build that out further and further and our my favorite channel is the one that we dedicate our time to recently which is pillars of star wars yeah i love that channel i love just building out these 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 fundamental elements of star wars and we're kind of figuring that out with you guys and uh that's been super fun to do so come to the discord check all this stuff out there's so much here uh and it's just it's expanding it's ever expanding so uh yeah really I will say I, I love this. this. I'm new to this technology, uh, but I love it. And the the bottom line is, is that the three of us, Grant, Adam and myself, do talk about Star Wars all week long and yeah. have massive, like really interesting conversations that I was like, oh, I wish we could share these. And now we can't. We can just share them on the Discord server. There's, you know, there's things we can talk about there yeah. and, and have these chats and and it would be better with more people. It'd be great with um, other people yeah. joining in um, that love Star Wars and think about all this stuff. And uh, yeah, so hopefully this is another, you know, we're using technology to, to communicate with y'all and have more fun with Star Wars, which is what we're all about. So uh, great. I guess we're going to move on to... Hyper Crystal Comics Corner? We haven't had one of these in a hot minute. Ding, ding, ding. I know. Yeah. <laughs> Comic Crystal Comics Corner. All right. Feels like it's been forever, but we finally have comics back. In fact, this is the first week where we officially, I think Marvel's officially releasing some of their comics in stores. If you live in an area where you can go into a store, um, Otherwise, you can find it electronically uh, or do what I do, which has been uh, talking to my local comic shop and, and paying him over the phone. He's he's holding on to my comics for me. And uh, man, when I finally get back there, I'm going to have like I'm going to have to come in with a box. It's going to be wonderful. It's going to be like Christmas. Yeah. Um, but uh, we're finally back. And uh, Dr. Afra number one came out this week uh, officially in on paper it came out, I think, a couple of weeks ago 
digitally, but this is the official yeah, release. Almost a month so. ago. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about it. New run, new creative team, same old Afra in the best way possible. Um, but we have Dr. Afra number one in Fortune and Fate Part One, The Rings of Val. Vale, Val. Valet. Uh, Valet. We're going with Valet. All right. Valet. I love it. Yes. Uh, brought to you by Wong, Cresta, Rosenberg, Kara, Manga, and Reminar. And here's my very short summary. Not very short. Here's my short summary. Dr. Afra and her new crew embark on an expedition to find the rings of Valet, invaluable and cursed artifacts that some say grant eternal life. Their team expands while at the same time drawing the attention of Roman Tog, uh, the spoiled, smug, rich aristocrat with a private armada. All right. It, so it is Tog. Is that how you pronounced it? Sure. That's what, it really <laughs> I like don't tog. ask me. Yeah, I, I read C-A-G-G-E. it as T-A-G-G-E. Well. I said Tog because, yeah. I said Tages, but maybe maybe it's Tage? Tog. Tages? 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 There's no S, man. No S. Oh, the S come oh from? I thought there was an S. Never mind. That's someone else. I like Tagey. We're calling him Tagey now. <laughs> I think there's precedent for Tog. I think there's a um, uh, Empire Admiral as it's spelled the same Ronan there we go nailed it Um, or Tage is like the other way I'd go that seems a little too nuanced (laughs) for Star Wars welcome welcome to comic if you haven't heard comic (laughs) Crystal Comics Corners before 90% of it is arguing over how to pronounce names (laughs) listen to our 10 part series on is it Momin or Momin yeah, yeah. Is it dying on in the Malatoris system? Is that what it is? <laughs> yeah. Right. All right. Let's get back to the beginning of. This. By the way, it's Mammon, but continue. Okay. Yeah, definitely Mammon. <laughs> uh, well, art plays another big role in this issue here, but um, uh, I absolutely loved the beginning and the intro and and kind of the the little heists that they're doing uh, yeah. on Hoth and Echo Base, and I think it's even set up. In was it the last issue of Afra or the last yeah. of the Star Wars main yes. run issues that it kind of set they up Afra was going base. Echo Base, yeah, yeah. Echo Base, yeah, um, yeah, and you yeah. meet this character just Lucky, who I guess had 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 bumped into Afra before in a previous journey, uh, story, but I don't know if he was in the comics before, but he's like this sharpshooter character. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I mean, granted, I read a lot of comics. I don't recall his character. I'm I sure don't remember him either. Correct yeah. us, but I don't remember him being in anything. Anyways, really like that character. Love the name. think it's hilarious. I love that, you know, Afra's luck is is just always running out. <laughs> That's kind of the, <laughs> the main theme of her life. Right. But, uh, and he, he kind of represents that in a fun way. Um, yeah. Um, love the bad guy. I always love me a spoiled aristocrat. I got, I got, <laughs> I got vibes of, um, of, um, Drayden Voss, Dryden Voss. That was the one I was trying to think of. He's yeah. Dryden Voss type is target. Yeah. He's, yeah. I did find it interesting that he was kind of like destroying art. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was like, that's kind of interesting. I like that. Yeah, that's, that's a new differentiator, right? Like a guy who's like, Oh, this is really valuable. What's the most valuable thing. I'll destroy that. Yeah, just because he can. Right. It's just like, I mean, sure, we've seen people like villains that want to kill people all the time, which is terrible. But now, like, someone who wants to kill art, like, next it'll be like people that just want to kill wampas or something. And yeah. It'll be worse. Space but, like, puppies. Yeah. But, it, <laughs> you know, seeing the artists there watch him and like cry, you're like, oh, what are they going to yeah. do to these poor people? Yeah. 
And it was like, oh, destroy their art. <laughs> I mean, so I think this is part of what I'm getting the vibe of in this first issue is we're bringing um, and I and I love everything they did in the last series. But I feel like now what they're doing is kind of bringing Afra back to her India Jones roots. And yeah. this this character <laughs> feels like kind of a space Nazi. And, you know, as much as we throw that term around a lot, Actually, like, you could totally right, no, see that character. Nazi. Like, yeah. right, you could totally see that character in an A.A. Jones movie, like, destroying art in, of all the places that the, the Nazis have rolled over just because he can, right? Just because, yeah. This is a scene right out of Hunters. I don't know if you've watched that show, but... Mm. Which is, yeah, it, that's exactly yeah. what... Yeah, 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 yeah. A throwback to Nazis being Nazis. Would, this is something Nazis would do. Yeah. Yeah, there's it's 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 fun to have that sort of, like, uh, like Scooby-Doo element back in Afro where she... It's, it's, there's a kind of... There's the skeptic versus like the, the the spiritual, and you have like one professor, this kind of her old colleague who's kind of believes in the curse of these rings of valet, and then Afra's like, no way do I believe in space magic, and you kind of have this fun element of like she's going to go in and try to find these artifacts and debunk the paranormal mysteries surrounding them and things like that. And I think that's so much fun like that is endlessly yeah. fun and we can yeah. serialize that and i would love to see more and more artifacts and there's a great line where i think she says you know curses was a curse was the first security system yes i loved that line she was like <laughs> you, tell, you tell people something is cursed they're not going to touch it you know yep. i was like that's great like i i just want that's... more of that and and when you talk about the indiana jones element like i i'm so on board for this that's an Indiana Jones line. It's not literally, it's not in a movie, but like I heard that right. and I could hear Harrison Ford say that line, right? And yep. this and this her being a skeptic, Grant, I think we talked about this off air, after like everything she saw in the past 70 some odd issues of Afra, <laughs> you know, encountering a swarm of sentient, um, sentient spores fungi, that, or, yeah. spores, spores yeah. that were taking on the life essence of a past Jedi, she's still a skeptic because yeah, because every yeah. Indiana Jones movie starts with Indiana Jones having learned nothing from his previous <laughs> adventure yep. and still thinking that the supernatural can't be real, even though he's encountered the Ark of the Covenant, the, the Kali stones, the, uh, the, <laughs> right. The, the, uh, the, the grail, uh, aliens or interdimensional beings, but we'll forget about that one. And <laughs> that turned on. out to be real. Yeah, <laughs> that turned out to be very real. But he'll. But when we see him again in 2022, yeah, yeah. he's going to be walking around the 60s saying it's all bunk. Yeah, and I, I, I got, I love that that element. Um, I love diving deep into the Shadow University. We don't really get yeah. to explore that location often, and uh, and I guess it's like a school for archaeology. Is and is that basically that's what my, that's what yeah, I gleaned from just, it? Um, uh, we meet a lot of new characters in this issue. Mm -hmm. uh, and they're all really, really fun and nuanced. And uh, I enjoyed meeting all of them. And we have uh, the first one was uh, I was, obviously we named just Lucky, who's this sharpshooter who's just jumped aboard uh, uh, Afra's crew on, on the uh, the Archangel. And I think uh, Black Chrysanthemum is with her as mm -hmm. well. Of course. And yeah. it's just it's just those three at first. And then you meet uh, this this grad student, Dita Yao. And oh, yeah. she is she's a great super character. cool. Yeah, she's a cool. Uh, she doesn't look human. She looks like another species of some kind, but um, she is uh, eager to learn as much as possible about archaeology, uh, and she looks up to Afra, and um, and she looks up to another character we meet later, and uh, and she just seems hungry for knowledge at this point, although I do, I, I am like she's worried a about her motivations and intentions, and I think Afra's also kind of seeing that she's, yeah, a hustler, or, or at least trying to hustle people for whatever information they have and move on. Um, but, uh, 
I thought she was interesting. And you find out she's quite yeah. lethal. <laughs> like you find out she's got some secret mm-hmm. gadgets uh, tucked away. Um, there was one moment where they talked about, I, I think someone, I think it was the Dita character who was talking about uh, Afra's adventures and being like, oh, the romance, the adventure, the danger, like everyone's heard <laughs> your tales. And I was like, guys, guys, we discounted romance in our Pillars Ooh. episode. But I have to say, I think romance... I think screwball is a subcategory of romance. That's kind of where I've laid down a lot. I feel yeah. like I, I'll, I'll explain why. I think I think I think it's a subcategory of romance because uh, you get these sort of screwball antics when people have a deep bond with each other, but don't want to inflict pain on one another, or like you know there, there's a mutual affection and empathy and respect. But like you that way you, you get the comedy, you know, because they don't want real pain or, or real you know. Uh, they don't want to inflict any real pain on someone, but they're 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 ready to you know debate something or get in arguments or you know yeah. get in little scuffles. You know what I mean? So I would say screwball is a subcategory of romance, but yeah. that's for that's for pillars, really. Yeah, I agree. I feel like I feel like when I was pitching the screwball, I was really thinking of screwball rom coms, but that doesn't sound very doesn't right. come off very well. But I feel like I think we kind of landed there a little bit that this ex this extra category that we included, they don't always have to be there, but like. I think we actually shared that that clip on Instagram where Ben was kind of breaking that down, talking about it. And I think kind of where we landed is that, like, I almost wanted to put love in there, but there's no category of movies called love. Because, you know what I mean? Because there's always yeah. love in a, in a Star Wars movie, whether it's romantic or familiar or 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 just paternal, you know, or what have you or, or fraternal or whatever. And I feel like we talked about that. But, yeah, I don't know. I'm just going around circles. Someone else talk. But no, that was that was just something I saw. And I, I it just it was kind of like maybe rethink our pillars a little bit. But nonetheless, yeah, I know I, I yeah. feel like we almost have to have a romance pillared by default. Yeah. I mean, but it's like, what's the most romantic like moment in Star Wars? Is it the like wedding at Naboo, like the secret wedding at Naboo? Like, I, think I would say I love you. I know to me that is the most romantic moment in Star Wars. Yeah. Yep. That's it. Especially because it's mirrored in episode six, right? Like that that's their I catchphrase. Mean, it, the reverberations of that moment are still chase us today. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For me, it's always when 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 uh Leia, you know, saves Han in Jabba's palace. That was like yeah. that I is love you. I know. Love yeah, that's no, why I feel like those two scenes, those yeah, two yeah. scenes to me are interlocked in a way. Yeah, they're interlocked. Which is why I love it, because it's right. that that's their call and response. Yeah. Yeah, that's definitely the most romantic thing I think that's happened. I mean, there was zero romance in the sequel trilogy, right? I mean, except for um I mean, you could that, argue there's there's more yeah. romance than any other film in those films, but it's it's more of symbolic. It, it's right, you'd right. say it's more symbolic or intangible romance. I yeah. mean, yeah, I mean the whole thing was a coming together of like yeah. and Solo <laughs> and, and Ray Skywalker. Um but uh yeah. Yeah, I, yeah. I think we have to have it. I don't, I don't think yeah, it's like figure of romance, ignore it, not you know? literal. It's just romance. I just think it's going to be kind of a lonely subheading. But uh, I, I well, think we, it's we put we put them all together, right? I think we had I think we had like a miscellaneous category that we put together of screwball romance, and I can't remember the third one that was in there, but they're kind of like. They don't not every Star Wars movies has to have them, but right. a lot of them do, which is why we include that kind of yeah. subcategory. But we I can mean, edit. It's a pillar of every other movie that's ever happened ever. You know, like there's always romance in every movie. So it's like, but they're just way more measured in Star Wars as far as how they use it. Well, I mean, the, 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 the DVD cover, the box art for Empire Strikes Back is, a, you know, a copy of the Gone with the yeah. Wind poster. Yeah, it is. Yeah, <laughs> right. 
So I mean, but, I mean that's marketing. There. That's not yeah. like really the content. I really think if I would argue that if Rogue One never existed, we wouldn't be having this conversation. Oh, come now. No, no, no. And I don't mean that as a negative because I love that. That's one of my favorite oh, elements right. of Rogue One. Right. But Bond I feel like Kira is romantic. Yeah. And I, and I feel like there is romance in the sequel trilogy. It's not as explicit, but I think it's there. I feel like the connection we see. I also feel like in the sequel trilogy, the love that's there is actually more parental. Like, I think a lot of love they're exploring there is between parents and children in those in yeah. those in those movies, right, which is not romance. That's, no, uh, no, no. Right. But there is. But the, the Ray, I do think they were trying to go look at how many Raylo shippers there were in the world. Yeah. That didn't happen by accident. Right. Maybe, can we call the thing love and romance like? Yeah. And sort of lump things together there, whether it's familial love or like romantic love or something. Sure. I would, I would call it romance and comedy, but we'll do what you're doing. What you're talking about Ben, because we, we don't have a comedy section either. And it's like romance and comedy is it's like a combined element in a way, in my opinion. Right. I think perfection is sometimes the, the you know, the whatever. But, I, I think I, I think I, we're I, good where we're at. I, I just, <laughs> all right. One one more note on all this. I would argue that they're inherent to any movie period, romance and comedy. Yeah. So it's I mean, like, like we don't need to say it for star Wars. Like it's going to happen because it's a movie and I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to define movies. I'm trying to define star Wars. Does that make sense? It does. It does. A hundred percent. It's too generic to say there will be romance. Like, well, let's say there will be actors. Right. You think there'll so be I actors think, in the I next movie? Like, I don't know. I think where we're at is if we flash back about a week to this is going to take forever because reigniting my argument that we just get rid of everything but screwball comedy because I think screwball comedy is specific enough and I will make an argument for why it's in every there's elements of it in every okay. single Star Wars movie. It's not just comedy. It's screwball. I've you've sold me, Adam. I'm and I'm in. I'm on. Fire. We're going to watch his girl Friday at some point soon. That's going to be my pick at some point All very right. soon. <laughs> and we will you will see what I'm talking about. All no. right. Yeah. Well, yeah. Let's get back to Afra because I don't want to drift too far. <laughs> Is there anything <laughs> more to say? Because we might as well I mean, just like seamlessly drift into. Also, speaking of screwball <laughs> comedy, it's all over Afra. <laughs> yeah, it really is, and it, yeah. yeah, and it sings here, and we meet a lot of fun characters who have they they create such good contrast between the characters and conflict because uh, the next character we didn't talk about yet is Doctor Eustacia Oka, and she mm -hmm. is. Um, I think she's like a she attended the Shadow University. I think she taught for a little bit and I, or she was expelled. Right. Yeah, she was mm -hmm. expelled. So she's kind of this rogue. She's even more of a rogue archaeologist than Afra. And she's well, she's so interesting because she sort of believes in the, the magic and mystery of these artifacts. And we even see her use like a little like like stone idol to control these like giant like golems. Like, like yeah. Yeah, Similar yeah. to the, I kept having flashbacks to fighting those damn things in uh, Jedi Fallen Order that were all over yeah, the temple. Right. Oh, yeah, yeah, the Sentinels. Yeah. 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 Um, so she's a cool new character. Uh, I don't know. I think we've seen that species before. I just don't know what the name is. Yeah, it looked familiar. I got the feeling that like they both were thrown out of the school, but Afra was thrown out because she was a profiteer, and so they were <laughs> thrown out because she seemed like she was just into wild, crazy yeah, theories. Too radical. Yeah. Um. We got a droid in this TA four one eight. He's the same model as BD one from Jedi Fallen Order. Yes, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I love that. I love that. I love I that like, model. BD one yeah. is like he ranks high on my favorite droids of all time. He's so cute. Like he's impossibly cute for a droid. 
if you play haven't played Jedi Fallen Order yet, do it. If for no other reason than BD One, he's just like yeah. he's it's like the best dog you've ever had that has infinite knowledge and capabilities, yep. and it's just like how you know. Yeah, and won't grow old and pee on your rugs. Right, exactly. And the way he perches on on Cal's shoulder kind of resembles how Yoda perched on Luke's shoulder. It's kind of this really fun tribute. Oh, you're right. That's a good play on Mm -hmm. it. And yet and also adds to the you know, the pillar we haven't done, which is silhouette, but like Kathy Kennedy's recently mentioned, like every character has a very distinctive silhouette, and Cal Kestis does. He wears ponchos, which is weird. (laughs) He loves ponchos. And uh, he always has the BD-1 on his shoulder, and it and makes for a very specific uh, uh, silhouette. Yeah, that's pretty cool. And finally, uh, just talking about the artifacts at hand at the center of the story, the rings of Valet, or whatever they're called, it does remind me of the bright star that's in the Vader Immortal game, which was that that sort of that, that bright artifact, that kind of glowing artifact that Vader was searching for underneath the castle that was kind of the reason that... that that Mustafar, you know, became this lava planet. It was initially this kind of verdant green world. And then uh, Lady Corvax used the bright star to activate mm. some sort of, some sort of device underneath the temple, underneath the castle. And it, it, it killed the world. Yeah. Yeah. It caused right, this right, cataclysm. Right. Yeah. So kind of reminds me of that stuff. I wonder if they're connected. Um, other than that, that's kind of all I gleaned from the issue. That's it. <laughs> yeah that's i think we i think we hit a we, lot we, we made a drive yeah. but it's good to have a, a kyber crystal comics corner so nice um, hopefully know, I, miss, yeah. I miss the comics they pack a lot of really fun information that's going to live forever in canon um in these episodes yeah hopefully we'll get another one soon i don't think there's another one coming out next week but maybe the week after mm. everything's a little up in the air but they're coming i think All darth right. vader 4 is the next one that comes out Ooh, that'll be on that that'll be fun I still uh, want to know who was in the shaft at Cloud City from Star Wars. Oh, yeah, I I right? swear this whole thing oh, happened gosh. just to not prove <laughs> that it's Mara Jade. And this is going to be the best. It's like the most prolonged best reveal ever where I'll just like at the top of my climb to the top of my roof screaming. I was right. That'd be so funny if like via comics, they're like and Mara Jade exists. And like this ripple like comes out from the comic fan sector of Star Wars and just like proliferates through the greater population of Star Wars fans. Yeah, that would Guys, be didn't it, didn't amazing. Did not find the lightsaber? Like I yes, don't... but Force visions <laughs> are not uh, Force visions are not specific. All right, right? All right. They 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 don't necessarily tell you exactly what happened, but they're telling you things that are out there. Like there's I don't know a soulmate for you out there somewhere. Maybe it's Ray. He's seeing <laughs> Ray in the future. Yep. You know, Ray in the future holding it. But All the right. black glove is weird. I don't know. It is weird, but they have gender they've gendered her <laughs> in the last episode. They did refer to it as a her, so I don't know. I don't know what the really? black glove. Yeah. Hmm. I know it was like three months ago, but trust me, it happened. Yeah. Like I'm into that. I just didn't see any like red hair spilling out of that hood, but I'm into it. Because it's a yes. secret. Because they want to, they want to shock you. <laughs> I still think like her locks would be a flowing if she was just, you know, just standing there. I would love a Mara Jade reveal that would unlock so many really interesting plot points and directions for Luke um, yeah. in his inevitable ten more series that I hope they make. Oh yeah. All right. Well, onward and upward. A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away. A great adventure took place. These are pillars of Star Wars. 
Welcome to our Pillars segment. Uh, this week we watched Hidden Fortress. I think we, we told everyone, all, our, all our listeners that we were watching this film last episode, and uh, we've all done so. And uh, I've seen it, uh, I think this is my third time watching it. I don't know how many times you guys have seen it. One. But um, many, many uh, film critics and film historians uh, do believe that, that George sort of transposed this story to create A New Hope. And I think I've heard uh, George uh, d- dismiss that that idea, but I he does obviously hold uh, Kurosawa to uh, to a high level of uh, respect and uh, uh, esteem, and he he admires him greatly. And I feel like uh, and he admires all his work, not just this film. And you can see in a, across Kurosawa's film, you can see a lot of a lot of uh, characters and a lot of like story beats and a lot of. Uh, a lot of just arcs that, that are that are mirrored in Star Wars, and so it's not just this film that, that George had borrowed from, but there is a lot in this film that carries over into A New Hope, and and in a lot of the, the first films in each trilogy, like A Phantom Menace as well. I feel like there's a lot in this film that carries over there, but this is the basically the story of this film is uh, a pair of kind of bumbling peasants get roped into helping uh, this samurai general uh, who is uh, in charge in charge of protecting this. This princess, who is the, the the last princess in the, I think it's the Azakuzi house, yeah. uh, one of the, the the clans of this feudal feudal Japan, uh, and she's she's the last of the clan, and he's he's charged with protecting her and getting her across this border, and these two bumbling peasants kind of uh, get roped into helping them, and it's this really fun you know winding adventure of them just on this this kind of road movie to get her to safety. And it's uh, really, really fun, and it's comedic. It's got all the elements of Star Wars. It's got romance. It's got danger. It's got, uh, it's got action. It's got you know sword fights. It's got everything you've seen in Star Wars, and uh, and so much more. And and just the the backdrop of Japan is gorgeous and breathtaking. And Kurosawa's like cinematography, like the cinematography in this film is stunning. Like I still just you know, I watch watch this film and I'm astounded by the backgrounds and things like yeah. that. So what do you guys make of this this film? Well, I think Kurosawa was like eons ahead of his contemporaries. And I think that's why Lucas looked at him as a contemporary. He was like, mm-hmm. and it's really to Lucas's credit where he was like looking at all the great filmmakers that were in America at the time was like, no, that's not quite what I'm trying to do. And saw Kurosawa and was like, that's what I'm trying to do. And I think people that know a lot more about film than I say that this movie in particular influenced uh, Star Wars many more than any others. And that's why we're starting with it. Obviously, I mean, Campbell is a book and there's a theory and mythology that he drew from. But like as far as film goes, this is the one that sort of that he pulled the most from, uh, along with the rest of uh, um, uh, Kurosawa's film category. And we're going to we're going to cover other Kurosawa films for sure, because they're amazing and super fun to watch. This one was uh, made in 57, I think. If I'm remembering, I think it's 58. All right. I believe it. Yeah, 58. 58. All right. So this is 1958. So this is after Seven Samurai. Yeah. So 60 60 plus years ago film, um, black and white, uh, beautiful. It's a talkie. It's like it's it's fantastic. It's it's a lovely movie. And but as we're about to get into it, it really reverberates um in close proximity to uh star wars in 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 a couple of different places so I mean, we'll start from the first scene 
I mean, unless Adam, you have a more general uh, comment you want to make. Yeah, I mean, I just this is my first time seeing it. And it literally ended about 15 minutes before we started taping this. And it's one of those things where I've been putting off forever. And I don't know why, um, but but I really enjoy it. It's 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 the third Kurosawa movie I've ever seen. I saw Seven Samurai. I saw Rashomon. And it was nice to see something kind of in between after those, um, which is weird because I would have actually placed it before those movies for some reason in my mind if I thought what was made first. Yeah. Um, I didn't realize this was after until I looked at the dates of things, but it was it was a trip to watch it. And and part of me wishes I didn't know we were a watching it for the podcast and b that it influenced Star 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 Wars because so much of my watching was like mm-hmm. trying to watch it through those critical eyes. And then what I found kept happening is it'd be 10 minutes that I hadn't made a note or thought of anything because I'm just get sucked in because it's so beautiful and it's so fast paced for a movie from 1958 because yeah. things are constantly happening. And I kind of will talk about it, but I kind of believe Lucas denying this because I, I actually see a lot more in common with other Star Wars movies than I do a couple, apart from a few things overarching that had in common the New Hope. I think there's actually more going on with the sequel, with the prequel trilogy uh, with I this movie kind of, yeah. than with the with the original trilogies. But let's talk about it. Let's get into it. Yeah, I mean. Just that imagery in the beginning of this film is absolutely stunning. And um, the the technique, uh, so as you can see in the beginning of this film, it's a little, it has a kind of handheld look to it. There's a little camera shake going on. And Akira Kurosawa called this style his wabe-sabe style. It just meant uh, kind of the human touch on the camera. And you can see that it feels like it's just it. the camera's moving with the, the two peasants who are walking through. And there's the initial samurai reveal is absolutely gorgeous where you see like a samurai just like end to, you know, yeah. s- like just appear in frame, just enter frame, just in the bottom corner and just, uh, just almost like pop into frame, almost like Finn does in the force awakens in that trailer in a weird way mm-hmm. where he kind of just pops up. Oh, it's yeah. like, it, it's a very, uh, jarring kind of, uh, appearance of a character. And, um, and they're bickering. These two peasants are bickering in a wide open, you know, the expanse, the expansive, uh, landscapes is kind of was borrowed from like Ford and the Westerns and things like that. that Kurosawa was, was looking at. And, um, you can, you can see that kind of Western, you know, landscape, yeah. which just, it feels like a wide open expanse. Can we talk about those two peasants for a second? Cause these, yeah. these are the two, uh, characters we meet first. Yeah. And I think they're they're vitally important. I mean, the, at first blush, you see C-3PO and R2-D2. Yep. Like as far as like the height difference, one one is more like, you know, short and thin, yep. like the other one's like taller and whatever. And uh, one other connection, because I, I think I know where you're going before you move past. I just want to say that the one who's short and stout is also the only character in the movie that swears. If you, oh, if you look at the translation. So he calls yeah, him yeah. S worm and S worm, and he says <laughs> yeah, he yeah. says the S word later. I'm trying not to get us an E yeah. rating. He says the S word a little later in the film, and I'm like that fits perfectly with R two because I assume R everything yeah. that R two says is swears. swears. So I just saw that. I'm like, oh, that's totally what like Lucas is thinking with like you got the tall one being you know he's not quite three PO because he's not that prim, but he's just definitely right. like it's just interesting. But sorry, continue your thought because yeah. No, I mean, so they go through some you know, a bunch of adventures, but they're, they're really the catalyst for this story in, in very much the same way as R2-D2 and C-3PO are the catalyst for the whole saga, the whole Skywalker saga. Yeah. Um, but you know, there, there's all, you know, some human defects, I'll say that it's sort of, you know, yeah. elsewhere, but I will say like they're peasants and peasants are the persecuted class 
And in Star Wars, droids are the persecuted class. And I, I don't think that can be underemphasized. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it, and it seems like a very side plot thing that droids in Star Wars are a persecuted class. But like, I really think this is the birth of that. This is yeah. just like, you know, this is where George is like, no, that's the way it's going to be. And droids are going to be the ones that are going to be, you know, that you can't have racism in an intergalactic society, but you can or you can. droidism. Yeah. yeah, but there can definitely be droidism and, and, and a, yeah. a, a resentment against AI. And um, and that's that's the parallel that I think George drew from that, which is yeah. fascinating. And you're sort of into the droids in Star Wars is that they're on a mission, you know, for the good guys, for the rebellion. Right. And, uh, and that's, that's yeah, they're more virtuous in that way. But um, yes. but in this, obviously, survival is the motivation at first and then greed becomes the motivation for these peasants. But they do. There's that first remark, I think, after that samurai dies in front of them, they go, you know, I'm uh, what do they say? Uh, Even if I'm desperate, I'm not a thief. Yeah. And in yeah, that moment, right. I think you could, that's your in. You're like, oh, I can sympathize with these guys because they're not going to steal all the money off this dead guy, which if you watch a lot of samurai films, yeah, those guys that. get looted immediately. Like people get looted yeah. immediately in all these these samurai films I watch. I know. I had the same thought. I had that moment of like, oh, these characters have have like ethics and virtue. Yeah. And then and then it. <laughs> disappears slightly throughout yeah, the film in areas so they lost me again but that's yeah. that's timing and other things but there's yeah. but but one thing i'll notice i feel like once greed takes over because there's a moment where their brain switches over where they're obsessed with the Pure. gold yeah i feel like they switch roles they turn from 3po and r2d2 to han and chewy they're like there's a moment oh. where they're just yeah. only motivated like they right. don't care about Money. the princess they don't care about it. so i kept waiting for them because this is the other thing that was really a trip to watch this because there's a couple of moments that paid off and other moments that didn't because I was I know Star Wars. So I knew Star Wars was influenced by this. So I was trying to anticipate what was going to happen. And then it didn't happen. And it was in mind F at times because I kept waiting for them to come back and rescue them. Mm -hmm. Right. Because I kept yeah. waiting for their right. for their virtue to kick in. They kind and of did though. a little bit. Like very briefly, but it's mostly to save their own butts. So I kind of, yeah. but I appreciate it from a storytelling standpoint. I liked it from in this movie, but like that's where the parallels kind of disparate. Like those people don't have, they don't have their hero moment so much wow. in this but film. What you just said is so prescient. Like that, I, I didn't catch that at all, but you're so right. Like, because that's the thing. These, these two characters are motivated by greed like and money and like, but that is Han Solo and Chewie. That's, that's who those people are. But they're, you know, they're also this sort of these protagonists that are persecuted class that are just like, yeah, I can help you out if you need me to. You know, I just do me. And and they ended up like helping this ensemble cast, like navigate this trial and gauntlet of of, you know, of danger uh, the whole way. Well, after they meet this film's Obi-Wan Kenobi, they become the Han, Han Solo and Chewbacca characters. Man, you can yeah. and and I'll argue he's Obi Wan. I mean, and we're talking I'm about uh, fight Macab, you on that, but go for Mac it. I, I mean, he's not Obi Wan to a T. Of course, no, no. they're they're well, far he's prequel Obi Wan, but no, no. um, he's Qui Gon. But keep talking. They're oh, both. He's boy. both. He's both in a way. In terms of the dynamic of Han and Chewie, I would argue that he's mm -hmm. Obi Wan because he's using the greed. Yes. Nonetheless, I'm just going to say this is uh, obviously we're talking about the character Makabe Roku uh, Roku who is the uh, the general, the samurai general played by the legendary. Toshiro Mofune. Yeah. Um, 
and, by far uh, the best thing in this movie. Yeah, it would be yeah. full of great things. Right. And was almost cast as Obi Wan Kenobi, and uh, if he was didn't have a yeah. scheduling conflict, yeah, it, it would have been him instead of uh, Sir Alec Guinness. I want to see an alternate universe. Don't get me wrong; I love Alec Guinness. It's my favorite thing in the world. But I would love to see the alternate universe where he plays Obi Wan. Yeah, same. But I, yeah, yeah, I love how he leverages the gold in all these different situations, and 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 I love that it's kind of. Uh, I love that much like Obi-Wan, he's promising gold to these these people to get his way. And, uh, much like Obi-Wan promises, you know, Han credits upon. I'm arrival. listening to you say this and now I'm like defeating my own argument. It's way more like Qui-Gon. <laughs> no, no, it is more. This no, movie, I, I would say has more yeah. parallels to the Phantom Menace than A New Hope. And I think yeah. you can probably figure that out. He's literally not there to free slaves. Yeah, <laughs> yep. <laughs> like the most yeah. Qui-Gon moment. I'm like, oh, you're just Qui-Gon. You're just straight up Qui-Gon. I think, I think what what Lucas did is, I think we're all right. It's always nice when that happens. I think there are tons of elements of Obi Wan, and there's tons of elements of Qui-Gon, and I think the elements that he took or used or influenced by or inspired by in A New Hope are there. And then he revisited the movie and said, Oh, there's these other elements of this character that I didn't think about that I can totally use for the next character. Or again, I think it happened on a more subconscious level than that. But um, yeah, I think, I think, I think we're all right. I think he's, he's got so many aspects that are, are very Qui-Gon and so many aspects that are very Obi-Wan. Right. Cause in terms of, of Qui-Gon protecting uh, Padme after the, uh, the attack on Naboo. Yeah. All that, all that stuff yeah. is, is a hundred percent match. Um, uh, what else we got going on here? Uh, well, Princess the, Yuki, I, 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 we cannot. We can. There, there's a princess involved that needs to be saved. Uh, it's Princess Yuki. She's the last of her um, village, tribe, planet. If you will. yeah, I was about to say it's as if her planet was destroyed. I mean, yeah. <laughs> there, I think there's no more literal adaptation of characters than Princess Yuki. I mean, she to me, she even moved like Princess Leia. It's like. Like just this really upright position owns her own like self and like just just a very strong person and yeah. um and you know and, and is very willing to play whatever role she needs to for the betterment of her people yeah and lives and dies with her people and um Princess you I mean is is a direct direct influence and a very progressive influence um that Luke is clearly gobbled up he was like. It was... <laughs> It's interesting to see what 20 years and possibly cross culture does when you have the same character in two films, because the the, the thing that I noticed and Ben, I agree with you 100 percent. She is so much like Leia and so much like Padme. Yeah, I was, about to say, yeah. I was about to say we could do yeah. it again. We could say, we will, yeah, there's a Padme yeah. connection as well. But there's a line in this movie in, in in Fortress where they have this explanation of her being raised as a boy. Did you catch that line of basically being raised masculine? And that's why she is the way she is. I missed that. Yeah, there's a line. There's there's a bit of a discussion when they first meet when you first meet her. And she's kind of very not soft spoken, very strong, very willed. And they talk about that. And, and you know, I, I, I heard that I'm like 1950. Yeah, they needed to do. We that. get it. Like you had to explain it. But like yeah. you, you jump forward 20 years and I don't know if it's cultural differences or just time differences or a combination of both. You just have a strong woman and you just are realizing like, yes, it's recognized as an outlier. I still think Princess Leia was an outlier in 1977 films in that way. Yeah. But it's just kind of not this like, oh, we need to explain to the audience why this character is the way she is. Right. Which I just think is interesting. It's very it's just an interesting change difference. 
Yeah, and the connections to Padme are, are clear, mm-hmm. where she's kind of def- uh, Padme is defiant of Qui Gon Jinn and, and and goes you know to Tatooine to the surface with him, or, yeah. and, and uh, also the the regal attire that Padme puts on, you know, at some point uh, well, in the yeah. film is an exact kind of mirroring of what happens in this film. The very end of this movie, when you see her in yeah. a royal garb <laughs> and she was walking, I was yeah. just waiting for her to walk up and have like a striped down her lip, like <laughs> yeah. Padme, because it was just yeah. such a bad yeah, movie. Yeah, so yeah. She's in like a kabuki. and a and moment. Yeah. Right. And you've got General Kenobi in his like armor, which is cool. So yeah. this was the note that um, my lovely wife, Jenny, mentioned to me. And she's like, oh, yeah. And you have like the medal ceremony scene at the end of the movie. And I was like, oh, man, you kind of do. Yeah. I'll tell you. I'll tell you why he's like Obi Wan Kenobi. It's because he's protecting her in this kind of rural, this kind of a uh, you know uh, expansive yeah. countryside. You know what I mean? Like that is uh, what's Obi Wan doing when we first meet him? He's protect or he's watching over Luke, right? We're yeah. obviously made to understand that. Well, his first introduction, his visual introduction when you first see him is like arms akimbo standing at the top yep. of a mountain <laughs> yeah. yeah it's very similar to when we first see obi-wan in the dune sea like it's right like, so yeah that quarry and then the yeah. canyon yeah in uh in on tatooine yeah. it's like they're very jungling wastes yeah i mean the will. music even i know we're jumping around but the music at that moment is the only time in the film where i felt a connection a real direct connection you guys are music people so so i want to hear your thoughts yeah. between john williams and and the composer um is it masuro sato I think I just looked him up. Okay. So I'm not I don't just yeah. know the name. I have seems- I have Wikipedia open in front of me. Um but there's moments that sounded just like the Jawa music that I love yes. so much. Yeah. And yeah. I'm like, it sounded like Tatooine when they're at the very beginning. It's just yeah. fascinating. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It, it, music score wise, I, I you can't on you know overemphasize that. It's it's it, it felt like a John Williams score. And it was different and it was, you know, classic Japanese at the time, but the way that they, it, you know, it was very modern for what the Japanese were doing, what anyone was doing in 58. And it was, you know, it just hit it perfectly. And I, I, I can't I can't believe in a world where uh, Lucas didn't show John Williams that and was like, this is what I'm trying to do. And then he was like, oh, yeah, I know what you want. And like gave this really modern ensemble feel to uh, Star Wars. And yeah. yeah. I, I loved the score. Loved the score of of this movie. Yeah, Roka Rota actually has a really cool hero heroes theme that kind of blares after he escapes that spear fight. After he wins that spear fight and he rides away, it's really really loud, uh, and you can hear it there. And it's uh, it's actually quite nice. It actually it does sound a bit you know like like the Star Wars fanfare or like the Han yeah. Solo theme or you know something like that. Can we talk about the spear fight for a second? Because you said the magic word spear fight. Yeah, yeah. So leading up to this is a great example of another mind F from this film to me, because leading up to this, the general or the general is chasing after, right? These two samurai or two, two warriors on horseback. Right. And I keep expecting him to round a corner into a ton of other stormtroopers <laughs> and then, away. And yeah, then yeah. it happens he turns yeah, the corner and i'm like i'm so smart and then we get into a into a saber battle in quotation yep. marks and i kept waiting for him to die i kept yeah. waiting for him to die because again to yeah. me this is in store star wars yeah, he's yeah. nobly sacrificed himself no, it and then was, when he gets it was away the prequel it, dude this was yeah. obi-wan versus maul 
I, yeah, if well, everyone that, that sacrifice is there and it's not yes. in that fight, it's with the the elders and the members of the Aku oh, uh, right. it happens play off. clan and burn off screen. Yes, yeah, so they yes. burn the temple and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So I was so I love that scene because also I was talking to Carly. Carly was watching with me. Her insight is that those two characters beginning. She's like, it's Rosencrantz and Gildenstern. Oh, it <laughs> like, is. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. Like, I'm like, yeah. yeah. And, but but she was we were watching it and, and I was laughing because my favorite scene is when he's testing out the spears. That is my favorite yeah. thing in the entire film because oh, so well great. choreographed because every time he would make a move with the spear, literally everyone in the circle, even people yeah. that were like 50 <laughs> feet away from him, backed like, up. Like back up. It was yeah, amazing. It was awesome. so well choreographed. And and I feel like that's a very Lucas in yeah. thing to do. You know, it's like this. This is him, you know, someone crafting their own lightsaber. It's them like really caring about the, you know, the weapon that they they handle and, and, and give it the importance yeah. and it's world building and it's like really adds i mean that scene was long that like yeah. your yeah. fight was like 10 minutes long yeah and uh it was fa- it was fascinating and then the repercussions later on in the movie were great. yeah do we want to talk about like do we let's talk about tadakoro is that his name what's his name yeah yeah the other samurai yeah yeah you mean darth vader yeah, yeah. I mean, essentially when you well, look at the armor <laughs> and you look at the armor and you look at the fact that he comes back later with a, a huge scar, huge scar in his face. And he's yeah. has he's backlit and he looks like Vader from backlit. And then like, yeah. but this movie's amazing because here's another MF of a moment is at the very end. He's just they're like, no, no, don't sacrifice yourself. Come with us. And yeah, he yeah. does. And then he's there at the medal ceremony. I'm like, wait, so you're telling me this entire time Darth Vader could have just come back with them. He could have done it in one movie. If, if they want to do it in one movie. Yeah. 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 But I'm it was personally yeah. glad they'd made nine. Me too. Me too. But it was just funny where I'm just like, it is like, because I'm like, oh, this is Vader. Will we ever see him again? And then the next time you see him, I'm like, oh, he is a hundred percent Vader. Yeah, they are brothers in a lot of ways. Yeah. you know, because they knew each other on the you know field of battle. It's it's a it's a very distant precursor to Anakin and Obi Wan. In that scene where he comes back, we also get our most episode two moment in the entire film. Because three people are tied up to posts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, and then they're let out, and I'm like, oh, it's episode on on, cha- on horseback, but it looks like the chariots. So I'm like, it's episode two. Here's our episode. Yeah, it two. Is. yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot we could mine in yeah. here. Uh, there, there's also some like really fun shots in this film. Like, there's one yeah. shot of the the two um, peasants kind of after they had after uh, Roku Roto had made them dug that that trench in the middle yeah, of the yeah, yeah. fortress. Yeah. And there's like this beautiful shot that's basically a low angle shot of the trenches between them. And they're both walking on the, the edges of the trench mm-hmm. and go back and check that shot out. Cause I think it's like 20, 30 years ahead of its time. It's like just oh, such a beautiful yeah. shot. I felt that way the whole way through this movie. Honestly, yeah. like the cinematography is, is always been uh curse. I was calling card way ahead of his time and it's it's just gorgeous like he's in this gulch which is like nothing to behold but it's the the you know shot composition is amazing it's it's lovely if this movie wasn't in black and white which by the way i love black and white but if it wasn't in black and white and it was completely color like in color and you showed it to me i don't know if i could have told you it was made in 1958 because the cinematography is so amazing right that I, i it's timeless like it could have been made you know, in two years ago, maybe a little, maybe not so much that, but like, but it would have been hard to place, place it in the 20th century. The audio, I could probably tell from the audio because it's yes, like always yeah. people screaming and like blowing out the like, you know, microphone. <laughs> so I'm like, they have to be close to it, which is yeah. like not what they are. Yeah, uh, that's a bit. Oh, yeah, Princess Yuki just like uh, yeah. only screams. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was that was interesting. Um, clipping, um, yeah. Uh, what about the moment when they're in the Yamanama? Was it Yamana? 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 Yamana camp, 
Oh, they yeah. were just the Masonic camp. Yeah, you mean Moss Eisley? And they went to yeah. the cantina? Like, I'm like, this is like, it's amazing. It was like that, it was like what Lucas wanted to do the first time we made episode four, like their entrance into the camp. Um, or the Masonic that... camp, which J.J. Uh, Abrams did later. And... Yes, totally. But my my favorite moment there is when they're in the, it looks like it's just like a, a common house, like where everyone's just living, right? And we yeah. meet our, our other character, which I don't know the parallel. We get the, she's a slave who became, becomes kind of the Anakin-esque kind of parallel. Right. In Phantom to Mars. me, she's a handmaiden. She becomes yeah, like one of Padme's To me, it's like they feel bad for Anakin and they save, you know, it's it's like the Anakin mirroring. But yeah, yeah. it was very Anakin because it's saving a slave, right? But I had this yeah. moment where the princess is listening to what happened to one of her subjects, right? After everything right. was destroyed. Yeah. And it gave me this moment of chills of like, we've never seen that story in Star Wars, right? That that Leia meets on screen another Alderanian who's who's been persecuted persecuted yeah. because like I thought like that's amazing yeah, just, there's a, there's the a rage yeah. on her face when she's watching that whole thing happen is 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 amazing yeah there's a lot on tap potential when it comes to Alderaan because after watching this film I feel like there's precedent for Leia to claim another planet as new Alderaan but it never happens in the books or mm-hmm. any of the ancillary material or canon like but I feel like yeah. it's a it would be a beautiful honor to her parents who really sacrificed everything to to keep her safe you know it's like a new Alderaan would make sense to me, but I know claiming plans is kind of a Star Trek. Right? I, that's a Star Trek thing to kind of claim new worlds. Yeah, but and, and I would allow it. I would allow it for Star Wars in this case. I would allow it for Star Wars in I, this case. I'd be okay with it in the ancillary material. Right now, I think what we have with Alderaan is they do have a new Alderaan or something. Right? It's 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 part of the planets. The 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 rubble of the planets have been collected no, into uh, like it's the rubble of the Death Star. Of the Death Star, that's right. Okay, yeah. Yeah. so it's yeah, like that was in uh, Alphabet Squadron, right? or something. Aftermath. Yeah, aftermath. it was aftermath. Yeah, yeah. So they were like they were saying that yeah the the survivors were cobbling together this like space station made out of you know what destroyed their planet this flotilla really like yeah um and uh, that that was going to be their new roving home and oh uh, yeah. And I mean, that that's that's I was thinking like a lush like green that. world. But well, I mean, like that that's what we all want for them. But it's like, how do you take a lush green world from anybody? Like, is there just a lush green world that's unpopulated? It's I mean, I, I imagine maybe. there there would be, but I don't know. Maybe, maybe. Yeah, maybe. Grant, do you want another tick for your uh, the general is Obi-Wan? Let's do it. Give it to he me. He pulls a mind trick. He's a Jedi. Oh, mind yeah, trick the gold, yeah, the gold. Yeah, the gold moment. Trick. Yeah, I'm trick. like. I'm like, oh, that's totally yeah, a Jedi yeah. mind trick. I'm like, this is amazing. Yeah. 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 There's a lot of Obi-Wan parallel, parallels, but it's crazy how, how much you can find in uh, the Phantom Menace that kind of matches what's going on here. Yeah. He, he reminded me more of like a prequel one because like we don't really know. Well, we don't think of Esther Alec Guinness as General Kenobi, even though like that is the hollow message from Princess um, Leia. It's like yeah. General Kenobi. You know, my father fought with you in the Clone Wars and, you know, like that's that's how it all starts. And uh, but I mean, to me, that's sort of where it dies. And then, you know, for the rest of this, he is General Kenobi from the Clone Wars, just because he's he's way more active than Sir Alec Guinness is in, um, in Star yeah. Wars. But he is more he is more uh, Rokuroto is more like Qui-Gon because I think Obi-Wan gives Luke a lot of agency and choice, whereas Qui-Gon is very controlling of Padme and Anakin and the whole situation, I feel like, to a degree. Yeah. He's, he's, he's like, more controlling of the situation. 
I, I will Don't say though, anywhere. my my favorite um, Obi Wan Kenobi quote is, "You must do what you think is right." Of course, right? Exactly. Yeah. When and like that's something Rokuroto would like never say. <laughs> so, yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. The most the most Jewish guilt moment. I would say that from from family history of in the entire Star Wars history, you must do what you feel is right. Of course. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. Got it. Got, got it. Got it. You think <laughs> not I'm a grandpa. Yeah. I got it. I know what you're saying. I got you it. I think I'm wrong, but okay. Yeah. Let me make yeah. my mistakes. Yeah. yeah. Um, there's, a gr- there's a great line from Rokuroto that he says, I think, uh, when they get into their first, the first Yamana checkpoint or whatever, that, that area, I think he says, uh, hide a man among men as you hide rocks or among rocks. I that, that was like, wow. I was, that yes, was incredible. Great, great line. I was like, that's a Jedi line. Yeah, yeah, that was a Jedi it's a very line. Very Jedi line. There ever was one. I mean, dude, Rokuroda is like, he's Jedi through and through. <laughs> yeah. Through and through. Really and like, is. White Knight Jedi, like, Jedi at their best, which I wish every Jedi that we saw lived up to this expectation because it would have, I don't know, been a, a, a tougher adversary, but they had to find a way for them to fall. Yeah. So. I mean, when you see him kneeling at the very beginning when we first meet the princess and then you see the other person, like his, I, I, I didn't catch the relationship, but there was another a uh, man in there who is clearly yeah. like you know part of the royal whatever yeah, call them elders I don't elders know. yeah there you go perfect they were kneeling too like you just get that jedi you you got that jedi order yeah. like moment yeah. there's also a scene where he's first going into that cave that and yeah. and let's see how yeah. great that's this that you get a last jedi moment almost shot for shot when Luke's going into the screen, uh, going into the tree, and you're like, and the books yeah, are like, are you moment where I looked at him like that, sh- that lighting and that angle. I yeah. think Ryan was just like, thank you. I'll take that. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. They're, they're, if you look at Rashomon, there's a lot of like the yeah. same kind of dolly movements in The Last Jedi as there is yeah. in Ra- Rashomon that I don't think anyone talks about. But um, yeah. yeah, there's a lot in, of Kurosawa in that film. Um, I have a lot of notes here. I'm just trying to. The rake gag that happens at one point. Do you remember? Oh, when, when he kind of missed. <laughs> yeah, 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 that was that actually pretty effective. I was like, "Ooh, that's yeah. visceral, scary." <laughs> oh, did you when? So when we're in the we're in the camp and they are before they they buy back the slave, right? Yeah. Um, the slave owner. Did he remind you? Did do you have any parallels with that character? Did that remind you of anyone from Star Wars? Uh, like a Watto? Uh, Watto, maybe. I was going to go Jabba. Jabba? Oh, it yeah. was totally yeah. Jabba to me. He was the. Yeah. Oh, yeah. In terms of. Like, he was a little little bigger type. than everyone else, but also kind of like that, like, it just, yeah. like, just I'll buy. It's like everything can be bought. And it, I like the Watto, though, because there's also a bit of Watto in well, there, it's too. It's funny that. Yeah. It's funny how the original trilogies in the, the prequels all have their kind of mirror characters to this yeah. film. Yeah, I mean the handmaiden. This is kind. Of, this is far fetched, but um, the 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 slave that they rescued has the same haircut as Rose Tico. I'm just gonna say that. Yeah, <laughs> oh, interesting. Cool. It's like yeah. the exact same haircut, and I'm like, oh, all right. You know, not used necessarily. Well, kind of used in in a similar way. There there are parallels there. I will say, Ryan Johnson does nothing by accident. Right. Yeah. No. Yeah, might have yeah, looked, yeah. looked at that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Also, Rokuroto is kind of a Jedi. Like, uh, it, it after that spear fight, he doesn't kill the he doesn't kill his opponent. It's that's very Jedi like. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, not very samurai like at all. Yeah, Shintoism demands that you respect your you yeah. know fallen comrade by killing him. And he was like, "Okay, kill me." And he's like, "We'll I'll see you again." 
And, uh, you know, I mean, that, that could even be seen as progressive, you know, and differentiating for Kurosawa for the time. Because it's, yeah. Yeah. I, I feel like the main differentiator between this film and, and Star Wars is uh, that the, the money is this, the motivation versus the promise of adventure and knighthood being the motivation in Star right. Wars. It's yeah. it's. It's more so money is, is a big motivating factor, right. which and almost I, adds realism, like a lot of realism to the story. Right. I mean, but, you know, that is what Adam was saying with the, you know, the Han Solo and Chewie aspect. Yeah. It's like yeah. that. That's that's what they represent. It's just like, well, listen, I'm only in this for the money. Yeah. Most but it have been. Yeah. It would have been interesting if, if Star Wars really did completely crib off this. The end of A New Hope would have been Leia telling Han. <laughs> Yeah, no, I can't pay you because we need this money to fund the rebellion. But here's a little bit of cash for you, yeah. right? Like that would have been the parallel of it. It would have, right. have been, again, more realistic, right? Yeah. Like, right. I don't know why the rebellion had all that money to give yeah. on. This isn't a direct pull. No, and, not and, at all. You know, Kurosawa used it as a, a vehicle for these two essentially main characters. They're the vehicles for us to watch this whole rebellion take place, you know, to find finally, you know, get out of like, burst their cycle and 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 realize like we're friends let's be friends and you know let's just be thankful we're out of this and that that's the recurring joke is this like they're like we're gonna be rich i love you let's be friends forever and then they're like yeah. we're broke i hate you this is mine and like they keep <laughs> yeah. doing that over and over and over again and like that that's a device for that kurosawa wanted to use and it's effective and awesome yeah. um but that wasn't you know falling in line with what lucas wanted to do and that's a good way for him to divert and tell a different story yeah the um totally i um i was gonna say the yam yamana clan and i don't know if it's the clan symbol but whatever um I was going to say something, whatever the Darth Vader analog was wearing yeah. looks so much like the empire. Did you see that? Like the Sign empire? Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. Like when he's standing there lines, yeah. while singing, which went on for quite a while. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I was like, Oh, that's right. That happens in these movies quite a bit. A lot of singing. Yeah, um, breathe. These scenes breathe. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I was like, I was just, I was just watching that whole, and that's why I was just, that's why I had so much time to recognize, like, oh, it looks like the, it looks like the Empire insignia. Oh, it looks like Episode Two. I had a lot of time to kind of like, yeah, yeah. take in the visual storytelling. But I saw that, and I'm like, that's so clearly, like, that's so influenced their their thought about the Empire insignia. Yeah. I, I after watching this film, I did have an idea for, for kind of a, a, an interesting new direction. Uh, give if there's a new trilogy, you know, around the corner. Uh, I feel like this film, it starts in the middle of a kind of a war between three factions. And I think that would yeah. be really, really interesting to do in Star Wars is instead of just do the, you know, the the the, the rebellion versus the, the Empire, this kind of, you know, this, this basically like very clear good versus evil, you know, black and white conflict. Right. You have three factions, three color schemes, lots of new art designs and, and, and visual directions to go in. Uh, I think that would be super interesting. And the, dividing up the film with these three factions in play might be really cool and interesting versus just the two factions and the, yeah. the duality. And I think the sequel trilogy really, you know, drove that nail into the board. It's like we we get it, the duality. Like we get that there's two, you know, good, mm -hmm. light, dark. Like I would love something to get yeah. a little bit more blurred. I think we're probably I think that's great. And I think that's makes sense that we would go that direction. I feel like yeah. 
especially if you want to build out this galaxy in multiple films and other areas, you need to make it bigger than just one side versus another side. You need more factions out there. Maybe that even means that you upgrade the pirates and that side of it, right? Like that, right, that's yeah. more powerful clan, which is, I think what they did with the original canon, the old canon. I feel like a lot of times the, the pirates and, and the, um, the other, I can't think of the other scum and villainy, basically the scum of yeah. the universe. Uh, crime syndicates, crime syndicates, which yeah. is what they started to do with the solo stuff. Right. I feel like the crime syndicates yeah. become, they fill up the vacuum a little bit so that you have this third faction that everyone's fighting against. The empire doesn't like them. The empire analog doesn't like them. The Republic, you know, analog doesn't like them. Yeah. And they're all kind yeah. of fighting. I mean, we're, we're coming from this from a very myopic American point of view. We live in the United States and like we have two parties, but you know, a lot of countries have multi-party systems and it's a very organic, you know, flow of democracy and, and how they do things differently. And I think these movies could reflect that and not alienate, you know, uh, viewers from the United States. And because it's, it's I mean, there's tons of things to pull from and there's ways to really differentiate different parties. Yeah, uh, that 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 appeals to the movie screen and like you can get it easily and like, oh, there's these, you know, why not? You know, if three, why not four, four, why not five? Like you could do five different factions that are very clearly defined and, you know, are vying for power in a galaxy. And, you know, I mean, I know that sounds like a lot, but still like you could you could evolve this thing over, you know, we've got nothing but time, a, a series of movies. Uh, well, you, you could separate out the, the monarchy from like the, the fascistic, you know, tyrant right. you yeah. know, empire. You could you could you could totally have a monarchy. You yep. could have a tyrant uh, and then you could have a democracy. democracy. Yeah, yep. That's it. And then that, that could be the three factions. Throw an oligarch in there while you're at it. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oligarch, too. I mean, yeah, yeah. well, I mean, I don't know if that would get into like private sector and all that kind of stuff, but I I'm well, I'm open to it. There's yeah, ways to do it to still appeal to an eight year old that that can be, you know, which is yeah. like entry point for Star Wars, like to to do things and, and, and make it clear for them to let you know viewers understand something more about the world why not uh, another cool connection was the the akizuki sigil or logo was that, that a crescent moon mm-hmm. kind of made me think of crimson yeah. dawn a little bit and like kira's oh, necklace nice. and all yeah, that kind of yeah. stuff especially the gold and that the crescent being on the gold yeah. i was like oh that's like crimson dawn's logo is usually on gold like it's i wonder if they were thinking about this film probably like like i I definitely There's, thought a lot about that crest for a while, you know, yeah. It, and yeah, it's interesting. It's, I did the same thing. I, I'm glad you came up with that grant because I'm like, what does this represent? And my mind didn't did not go there. But I think you're 100 percent right about that. There's some connection there. I saw a lot of like Han, like in a lot of these characters, like that Han from Solo and a lot of the two, yeah. two oh, characters yeah, kind of just kind of like just yeah. obsessed with money, but also other things going on that they're focused yeah. on. Yeah, I mean, a really clear uh iconography that's yeah. like that's a parallel they've they star wars is great with it they're just like oh this is this logo this is that logo you understand it and they uh kurosawa does that in this movie very clearly as well anything yeah. else any other uh, grab bag stuff before we uh, uh it's kind of remind me of the the treasure of sierra madre a little bit i don't know if you guys have seen mm. that film yeah, yeah. kind of remind me of that that's a 1948 bogart yeah so. classic yeah. That is it on our list. Otherwise, we'll have to add it. Yeah, we should add it. It's a, yeah. it's a fun one. Nice. We'll add it. 
Um, so yeah, uh, thank you very much. If you've listened this long, we appreciate it. If you watch the movie, we really appreciate it. Um, and yeah, you know, we'll do some more of this star Wars comes from a lot of places and, um, we learn a lot about the galaxy by looking at our own and, um, yeah, pretty cool stuff. So thanks very much for listening. Um, we appreciate it very much and, uh, join us on our discord or other social media devices that you like. If you want, um, we're good guys and like to talk to uh, new people. So thanks so much and may the force be with you. This is Grex Kondak signing off for the latest breaking news. Follow at Coreworld news on Twitter and Instagram. Thank you, and good night. Remember, the Force will be with you, always. Yeah.